I think just as we're looking for business leaders who understand technology and technology leaders who understand business outcomes, that that's what you're going to see prized more highly by boards. From McKinsey Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice, I'm Sean Brown, and welcome to Inside the Strategy Room. That was Liz Lempris, an independent board director and one of our guests on today's podcast. As organizations increasingly grapple with digital transformations, technology investments, and moving to the cloud, which is the topic of today's discussion, where boards put their focus is changing. As you will hear, making a shift to the cloud presents boards with some far-reaching issues to weigh, from cybersecurity to long-term technology infrastructure. In this episode of the Board Perspective Series, Steve Van Kuyken is sitting in for our usual host, Fritjof Lund. Steve is a senior partner in New Jersey and is the global leader of our technology practice and helps clients undergo major technology-enabled performance transformations. Steve recently led research on how boards can help shape the cloud agenda and brings deep expertise to this topic. Today, he's joined by two independent board directors to discuss their perspectives. David Court is on the boards of PSP Investments, Brookfield Business Partners, Canadian Tire, and several other organizations. Liz Lempris is on the boards of General Mills and Great West Liveco, among others. Both are former senior partners at our firm. Steve, let me hand things over to you. So listen, David, it's it's great to chat with you today about uh, the cloud and boards. We're going to explore many different angles of this. It's interesting. I, I uh, in my travels around uh, the at least the executive offices of companies across industries, clouds become a very big topic, especially in the last year or so. I think largely accelerated by the remoteness of the pandemic and the resulting rapid growth in online communication collaboration, commerce, and frankly, cybercrime. Executives everywhere are trying to figure out what is it, how do they lead on cloud and and tech enablement more broadly? And it does extend to the board. So I think what would be interesting today is to explore your experiences with where cloud fits in the board agenda and how boards think about cloud and I would argue more broadly tech enablement. Maybe to start, I I know CEOs are struggling to cut through the details to get to the salient issues that they need to worry about. How are board members doing the same? I think about those issues in the context of the board's responsibilities around business strategy and, and risk mitigation. And the importance of technology enablement is certainly higher in any business than it it was five or 10 years ago. But the importance can vary by what industry you're in and what strategies you're following. So, for example, when I think about the risk component and where cloud fits into cyber, um, to me, it starts with understanding what the overall enterprise risk management framework is for the company, the ERM process, and thinking about cyber uh, just as you would any other risk within that framework, uh, and making sure that if it does rise to the level of real risk and downside for the company, then the board will carve out time to really spend time on it, either as a full board or as a committee. But I think you have to put it in that context because cyber is a great example of where cloud fits in in a business strategy, um, may or may not rise to the level of that prominence uh, in a board as some other topics, whether they're financial risk or climate risk or other things. 
Yeah, I I agree completely. And the strategy plus risk management, like I said, that's the lens that most boards are going to take. Let me spend a, a minute more on, I think, what was called tech enablement. This is a big deal to boards. If you get any company that has stovepipe systems and they want to start operating more horizontally, uh, a pension fund that's had managed its business by asset class and they want to optimize across asset class classes, or you take uh, a business that really wants to apply uh, analytics or AI, which depends on a breadth of data, then there's no way to get there uh, in any timely, cost-effective way without embracing the cloud. The one thing I do think, at least the boards I'm on, are obsessed with is about speed because they see how fast our environment is going. Now, I don't believe, though, that's the way you come into the discussion. I think what happens is you, you pick up in your strategy discussions the need to operate in a more agile way and to get there quickly. And then when you get to the enablers, one of the key ones is going to be uh, getting to the cloud in a fast but secure way. So, so I want to pick up on Liz's cyber point, but let me follow up on your point first, David, because I, what's interesting to me, cloud is a lead time question. I actually have to start investing in cloud ahead of, in some ways, my digital ambition, to your point. And cl cloud does take some time to get there. And as I looked at the results of the research and how little discussion was happening in boards on cloud, one of the things that comes to mind to me is, are boards actually pushing the business enough on this strategic question, which says, are you making the investments ahead of the need in a way that's going to prepare you for the speed and the tech enablement that's going to change, you know, affect your strategy? Yeah, that's a good, it's a good question. Here, I, I am uh, on the board of a big retailer. We're all over this and have been for a number of years. If you go to uh, some other boards, which are more, I'm going to call it mid, smaller, smaller, large companies, five, 10 billion in, in revenue. That's where the people are behind. And that's where I think you're going to run into boards that uh, probably haven't spent as much time getting educated about it. Well, I think to David's point, the other, the other way you come at it, there are the questions that the board should be asking in any strategy around not just what's next year's operating plan, but what's the strategy three and five years out and what are the critical enablers to that. And you would really hope that that starts to surface some of these longer term investments. But I think the other thing that really jumpstarts it is making sure you have the right talent. So, you know, I, I've heard it said that back in the day that the most important thing for a CEO to be successful was to have uh, a really um, top notch CFO uh, as their right hand. And I think increasingly you're hearing people say that the top-notch right-hand person needs to be someone who understands business and technology and the intersection between the two. And I think having people in senior roles that, that understand those two in tandem uh, can also really help make sure um, that you're having the right conversations. So that's another place in addition to asking the questions of making sure that's built into the succession plan and the recruitment of senior people, where I think boards can really make a difference. And is that the responsibility of uh, the CEO to make sure the board's getting educated on this topic? 
uh, or on the tech uh, business intersection? Or where does the where does the responsibility for making sure that happens lie? Well, I think with most things, it's it's a partnership, right? You know, the CEO uh, wants to make sure that their board is educated on the topics that are most important to drive shareholder value. But at the same time, the board has the right and the responsibility to educate themselves on whatever topics they feel that they need outside support or additional discussion, or in some cases, people will put together ad hoc committees. So I think really it, it is a balance between the two and either party can be initiating that. Most boards, if not all boards, have a vehicle for the boards to get uh, uh, educated about things. It, it, it could be the classic strategy retreat, which uh, it could be a evening session the night before a board meeting. And, you know, a board chair needs to be very thoughtful of the person that they put the best sessions are where, I think, where there is an outside speaker, management has prepared them, and it's a joint audience, a board and management, that you can talk together afterwards. The best ones we do is where there's a board management dinner, somebody presents, and then the table is half board, half management. It's not a formal thing, and you just talk back and forth. It, the it really, it really brings it to light because you can put the, the, the environmental knowledge or what's really happening with, with the context of the company. It's very powerful. The only other thing I will add is, and I think this is happening, but I do think we need to double down on the obligation of board members to stay informed. Uh, I, it, the, wor the, the world is changing very quickly and I'm not saying you have to be deep in everything, but as this pointed out, you, you must be able to understand enough of it when people are, uh, are, are talking at you. And uh, I don't know that our boards are pushing enough that obligation. So, so Liz, picking up on your point, if, 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 I, if one marker of we're thinking about this the right way is if the right individuals within the organization are getting in front of the board and talking about this intersection between technology and business. Are there other markers you would look for, David or Liz, on, uh, I know that cloud and technology are being considered appropriately within the organization and discussed at the right level within the board forum? If we're going to really have an impact on tech enabling, uh, I, I agree with the point Liz made that the place to have this is when you're discussing the three or five year strategy. Because otherwise you get down into the audit committee and looking at projects. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but that's not where the real uh, discussion and the ability of a board to influence is gonna come from. And if you, at least my experience so far is that the strategy discussion is usually quite robust. What's going on in the environment? What do we need to do? The next part of the discussion was, okay, what really are the enablers to make this happen? Liz said a good, great one with talent. Uh, there's a, uh, another one with making sure that the uh, tech infrastructure you're putting in place is going to be robust enough. You know, there's probably three or four more. That, a not huge one is that the uh, change management uh, program for the business leaders that are going to use it is in place. That discussion, I think, tends to get under, 
under talked about. And the, the and once you get through that discussion, then a board can do what it really does well, which it agrees on a thoughtful set of metrics that the board can look at to ensure that the strategy and the enablers are coming together in a timely manner. And I think it's so interesting. I agree with David in that um, that piece in the middle that he described as getting less conversation than it probably merits. I think one of the reasons that's so tricky is because it starts to um, blur that line between board level conversation and some operational issues that are management responsibility. Uh, and I, I think, unfortunately, that's the nature of the beast. Yeah, and I, I uh, um, and I, you know, in my own experience, and I've, I've also helped a lot of CIOs prepare their board presentations. And they tend to be more operational in nature, but I don't see th- this this kind of fully integrated. Here's where we're trying to go from a strategy standpoint, and here are the enablers and how the enablers support that, and where we stand on the enablers. Making that connection happen uh, could be quite powerful, especially in terms of providing direction to management on how to uh, make sure that the uh, the strategy hangs together. Well, here we can now get into the issue of, uh, I'm going to call it board education. If you take, I'll say, those three enablers in putting a cloud-based transformation in place, let's say I take a sample size of 20 board members and executives in a company, you know, a reasonable-sized company, what would it be? One person, two maximum, that have gone through it before? And, and this is part of the problem is that you're, if you haven't gone through something like this before, how do you get your head around these questions without, as Liz says, tripping into things that really are management responsibility? And I, I will tell you, I've, uh, I've had a lot of courses on cyber board courses, a lot of courses on uh, analytics, and I've yet to have one on cloud-based transformation. I'm sure like Liz, like, we get like five emails a week with possible board education uh, things from all the various, you know, director associations. And it doesn't, it doesn't come up. And I think it's because there's not a lot of experience in it. I, I think it also quickly devolves into very technical jargon. Uh, so, so it's hard to elevate the discussion to the right level. I think both from a CEO perspective and uh, especially from a board perspective. But I also think even if the training's in place, are we talking about cloud and the implications and impact of cloud in the right way so the board can understand it at the right level and engage on it appropriately? I think that's a good point, Steve, because if you take the analogy of digital, when you go into a board education around digital, uh, yes, there's a conversation around underlying technologies and, and how do you think about them and where in the stack are you playing and all that good stuff but it's focused on business outcomes. And I think to really get a board engaged at the right level, you've got to make sure that you are focusing on those business outcomes that are most important to that strategy, that business. And then to the extent that there's information in terms of either trade-offs or key decisions or different ways to finance the investment, then I think boards can engage at more detailed levels but not until they have the context of how does this actually change the way we go to market or the way we deal with customers. So in any of your board experiences, has management come to you for, with a big investment in cloud? 
And, and what was the, uh, how, how was that uh, investment frame? I often see a reluctance to go to the board for investments in cloud. And I'm just curious how it's been presented and, and how you think about uh, investment related to other uh, resource demands at the board level. So in, in the one case where it was, I'm going to call it highlighted, and it was a pretty big chunk over a few years, I thought the CEO had done a very good job before we even saw the numbers and what it was going to be, that he set up the concept of transformation and what the enablers were. He didn't go into any detail about it, but he, he got the board to understand and be committed to a strategy change. And then he said, look, there are two or three pretty critical enablers to make this happen. Uh, one, to his point, was talent. Another was uh, a cloud. Uh, a third was some changes in their management processes. And he said, now we'll come back to you on this. But right from the get-go was put in that context, and I think it made a, a difference. If, if you don't do that as a board member, all you see is a big growth in the IT budget. And that's never a fun experience for anybody. I think that's right. And no, that's I, right. I, I think you can, you can also give board some credit, if you will, for having experience, if not directly in cloud, in other major investments that go beyond IT. So I agree 110% with David's point around you start with the strategic implications of why you need to do this. But I also look to the very, very large IT investments that I think people initially thought about as simply that, IT investments. And then they began to realize that given the level of financial investment required, uh, it really merited further review. And it also got into a lot of conversations around business process changes, etc. So the impact of that investment was much greater than a change in an IT system. And I think boards have gotten their heads around that, um, in part because many folks on boards have lived through it. We've talked a lot about growth, but there's also a lot about risk mitigation that's quite important. Um, I, think, I think boards can get very comfortable in that conversation when it's put in one of those two contexts. I think that's a great point, Liz. The boards are used to looking at these big tech investments. Uh, cloud changes the profile of spending because, you know, as you move to the cloud, you shift from CapEx to OpEx. So it actually, the IT budget often does go up on an OpEx basis uh, and, you start, and you may not see as much CapEx flowing in front of the board uh, in terms of uh, decision making. But that's a... That goes back to the operating model and the way of working point that I think you were making, David, that it, it, it gets built into how the company operates uh, in the future. So, so let's let's talk about risk because I, I promised Liz we'd come back to the point on cyber too because I, I think cyber risk is a huge topic, obviously. Boards focus on this a lot. It's, it's highly complex. Cloud makes it even in a way trickier because it uh, changes the way you manage cyber risk when you're in the cloud. In many ways, there's there's much better ways to manage risk, but you have to change the operational processes to do that. It, I'd love to hear both of you talk about how you, uh, as a board member, guide cyber uh, strategy and risk mitigation and how you stay on top of this topic. Because we talked about cloud being complex, cyber is really complex. And what's the, uh, maybe just some reflections from both of you would be interesting to hear. <laughs> This could go on for a while. 
I'm sure it could. Let me use the analogy we were talking about, a business transformation, and you've got to, if, 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 if the executive team leads with the strategy and puts cloud in the context of that, then you, you have a better uh, discussion. The equivalent on cyber is that if you can articulate the risks, business risks, that you are managing against, and connect the actions and investments to protect yourself in that context, I think a board can get its head around it. Too many times, and I'm, I, I don't, luckily don't know the name of the framework, but, but you'll all smile because you'll know what I'm talking about. It has this, here are the seven things, seven generic parts of doing cyber, and you put red, yellow, green light up against those seven. As a board member, it is very frustrating because you you know it's more complex than that. And, you know, as Liz has pointed out, what you're worried about is the business. And right now, those two things don't connect it. We're starting to get better as boards and management teams at it, but it, it's, it, it's a work in process. I think that's right. I, I think you're, uh, I know the framework you're thinking about. To me, what's important to remember is that, well, cyber risk and ransomware and all, all those related issues are a reality for any company. Um, the, the magnitude of that risk is really different depending upon the kind of data that you have and the kind of business that you're running. You know, so if you've got a lot of um, healthcare data, if you've got a lot of personal data, credit card data, that's a very different scenario than when you're a, a B2B business and a, a relatively commoditized industrial product. And so I think the first thing you have to do in linking it to the business is, is actually have a clear-eyed discussion about how much risk there really is relative to other things in your enterprise risk management framework. And then you think about how do you deploy the, the board's time appropriately against it. Um, I think there are, um, it's, it's uh, complicated because many of us haven't lived through this the way we've lived through other things that you face in the boardroom. But you have to remember that um, you're expected to be knowledgeable on these topics. Having said that, I find things like uh, white hat hackers who come in and actually understand what the vulnerabilities are in your specific company to be much more helpful than some of the more um, generic courses, if you will, on cyber. Because by definition, they are a one-size-fits-all offering. And it's really not a one-size-fits-all issue uh, when you're sitting in the boardroom in very different kinds of companies. So, so don't fewer red, yellow, green dashboards and more real vulnerabilities that we need to debate and, uh, you know, make it real for me, in other words. And explain to me why our cyber risk is higher this year than it was last year. And it may be because we've acquired three companies and now we're taking on the cyber risk associated with their processes and the way they run their systems that we didn't understand. Or maybe we've gotten into new promotional vehicles that have a lot more consumer sign-ons to our platforms, which again, increases your risk. And then maybe just to test, and maybe we're too early in the shift, but I mean, cloud fundamentally changes how you manage security. Yep. And has that come up in your board discussions and, and what the company is doing to change that posture in terms of how they manage uh, risk and security? Yeah, absolutely. And in, in, in several of my boards, the conversation around cloud is very closely linked to the conversation around security, whether that's um, internal processes 
or whether that's hackers or other bad actors, uh, it's very much part of that conversation. And in fact, that's probably when we get into a more detailed discussion about our options around cloud, the cost of cloud, the mitigation, you know, what if any assets you want to have on on-premise storage, those kinds of conversations, in my experience, come up very clearly in the context of cyber. No, I, I agree. I'll add two things. First of all, to a point I made earlier of people going through this for the first time or second time, I mean, literally, we have a meeting next week. And on this specific issue of uh, are we more secure or less secure as we go to the cloud, uh, I can tell you there's a difference of opinion. And it's hard to get to the bottom of that. And as Liz says, but you've got to break it apart into its component pieces, and then you better uh, understand it. Second thing is, it's easy for us to think about the really big companies. You know where the action really is and the challenge? You start getting into 1 billion, 5 billion, 6 billion, you know, whatever companies that uh, they may not have been, had to worry about this three years ago. But now with the, what's happened, they do. And cloud is a huge opportunity for them because it's, the most efficient and potentially uh, time efficient way to get there. And these, uh, these folks on both management and board, it's really new to them. And I think this is an area where the education side of things could really help people. So that's a, that's a super interesting point. This is also probably where uh, talent and, and, focus also in in some of the the companies that are n- more newly vulnerable to cybercrime uh have to be especially sensitive. Let me ask you, we've talked about strategy, we've talked about talent, we've talked about risk and security, we've talked about education, but you know, if you transition to the cloud, companies will start to operate in fundamentally different ways. Business and technology become much more closely intertwined. You should see a speed of innovation, uh, increase in speed of innovation and, and actually speed of and some level of agility. Are there ways of working that you look for at the board level uh, in the transition to cloud that you try to encourage or at least, you know, indicators that you're looking for on the operating model or the ways of working or the company? Do you have some reflections on that? Yeah, uh, I have two. So first on the encouragement, I will tell you... I, I've yet to be in a board meeting across five or six boards when this subject comes up of agility and speed that the board is not somewhere between encouraging and a cheerleader. I mean, you just you just know it's the right thing to do. And coming out of COVID, it's just that much more important. The question then is, okay, now we've encouraged it, how, how do we get ourselves comfortable that progress is being made on all fronts at the right speed. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you a very simple example. Retailer has three businesses. Uh, they want to have a single uh, loyalty program and cross-banner marketing effort. The cloud enables that, as you know, and it enables it, you to move uh, more quickly and more sophisticated. Okay, what is the measure you're going to use that that's happening, okay? In other words, you know, I'm, you can imagine what some of those metrics are. If the board can get itself comfortable on what those metrics are, 
then people can feel comfortable. And this is where I do believe you need to drive things down to the board committee level and then back up to the board. In other words, have them sort through what the metrics are, because it's tricky, and then bring that back up to the board to get the okay, and then the board can watch those metrics. Another option Liz mentioned, which is to have a special subcommittee or ask two or three members of the board to do it. I think it's also interesting, and I see a little bit of this when we're talking about investments in technology, broadly speaking. Um, Sometimes the metrics are are mostly um, implementation oriented. So we've moved this much or we've done, you know, we've um, reduced on-premise storage by X amount. And at the same time, you know that the original decision was driven by a business strategy and you're looking at the metrics and progress on project implementation. They seem to be moving in the right direction, but you don't see any change in what's happening with your customer um, because the metrics are defined more in terms of management execution as opposed to thinking about what was the bigger picture of what we were trying to get done. And I think that can be a source of great frustration because management's working really hard and they're demonstrating that they're getting the work done. And the board is sitting there thinking, we might be getting the work done, but are any of my stakeholders benefiting from that work being done? And it actually can create some some tension and I think some unproductive conversations. I, I think that's a great point. One of the reasons it may be happening is that historically with IT projects, that is what you looked for, right? Like a lot of times it was down in the audit committee and it was very much, is the project being done on time, on budget, et cetera. Now, when when you're linking it to transformation, that those aren't the metrics. I didn't say you don't have to look at some of them for a while, but you've got to move it on to the uh, business outcome metrics. And I agree with the frustration uh, that Liz has mentioned. Uh, we, we talk about this shift to a product orientation where the measures really should be around customer adoption, speed of new releases and innovation in, in uh, the, the technical products I'm delivering. Uh, and then there's probably a set of measures around how the, the business and IT organizations are working together more effectively. Uh, but I, I think that is a very tough transition for companies to make. And this focus on outcomes, if boards can help drive that shift or at least encourage that shift in a way that it happens faster, that will, because of the productivity unlock, I think is tremendous in doing this. And also there's a small point about this, and it's a very board issue or chair, board chair issue, which is it, it speaks to the... Um, the mix of skills that you have in your different committees. In other words, if your audit committee is who's gonna be watching some of this, but it is basically financial result oriented, then this discussion won't naturally uh, won't naturally come up. And so if you're a board chair and you're trying to, or a governance committee chair, and you're trying to allocate people across committees, you now need to think a little broader about what skills you want on each committee. Let me pick up, because that's a question I wanted to ask both of you. Uh, given it, it's cloud and, and technology more broadly, but how will that influence the uh, the makeup of boards and expertise required on boards over time? And do you see a shift happening, or is that still a ways off? 
So I actually, I absolutely think it will impact um, the profile over time, and I think you can already see that. Uh, so in, in one of my boards, uh, we have an individual who was very much sourced for that expertise, a sitting CIO who spent their entire career in technology. I think it's a very valuable input. I don't actually think that's the same profile you'll see over time. I think just as we're looking for business leaders who understand technology and technology leaders who understand business outcomes, that that's what you're going to see um, prized more highly by boards. So, uh, you know, historically the sitting CFO or CEO, um, now you're seeing people who understand digital marketing, different ways of going to market, um, people who understand technology transformations. I think it's going to be very similar to the kind of change that we would like to see among business leaders. So David and Liz, I, another question that, that uh, comes up and that I, I think the board probably will have a perspective on is the, the question of talent and tech talents specifically. What used to be prized in an IT organization, for instance, were software developers who could do bespoke systems and big projects. Now what's prized is uh, tech talent that's very good at reuse and operating in cloud native environments and using APIs. You also have tech leadership that has to be um, very business savvy, as, as Liz, I think you've pointed out in some of your earlier comments. You also need tech leadership that knows how to drive transformations. And it all creates a, uh, a large burden on the both the technology organization and how it's organized and how it attracts talent. And then it also, I think, becomes a challenge for the HR organization, who uh, used to manage tech talent in one way, now needs to manage it in an entirely new way. So I, I've just loaded a bunch there into a question, but I'd, I'd love to hear your reflections on the board's role in, in terms of encouraging the, the development of, of technical talent within the organization and some of the challenges you've seen uh, as a board member. I, I just want to add two complications that you've mentioned. Uh, one is the senior roles. Like, what are the five reports to a CIO in a digital cloud uh, and security conscious organization? The, those have all changed. Because one thing that boards lean in on is the organization structure, how it's going to work, what you, you know, the talent you need in each role. So, I mean, that's a big deal to a board. And then one other issue is uh, two of the boards we're on, we, we are making decisions to outsource because it's the only way we can keep our talent bench down the line fresh with the new technologies. Okay, you just, it's really hard to keep the same organization together. Now, all of these are really important, typical places that a board will lean in. Structure, do we have the right talent mix? Do we really have to insource, outsource, partner who are we partnering with? Uh, the, the one thing that I would love to see, could we agree on the flow of discussions we need to have over the course of a year. In other words, you, you may not know the answers all because it's moving so quickly, but, but we could understand the key topics that we have to get around, get, we have to discuss. It may be that there's some that we need to do some pre-education on. You know, I, I agree with David, and I think that 
as, as you started by saying, David, um, Steve laid out lots of different capabilities that short of super person, it's unclear anybody has all of those capabilities. So as David was saying, is what, what is our technology strategy? So you articulated one in which uh, some of the basic infrastructure is outsourced. So therefore, capabilities around data centers and cost management become less important than some of the other things that Steve had mentioned. And what I look for in the succession planning is, are we being thoughtful about both the skill profile we need and the types of experiences that would likely give someone that profile? And to me, uh, it increasingly means people who have had real business roles in addition to technology roles, um, not even just being a business partner from an IT perspective, but actually leading business transformations or working in companies where technology is so central to the offering that it's, it's, it's almost impossible to delete those two. I also look for people that have had lots of different kinds of experiences, um, not only because each of those individual experiences will probably be helpful, but because it suggests somebody who is accustomed to change and adapting to new technology challenges. And so I I put a lot of credence around um, the kind of profile we're looking for uh, when um, HR goes out to hire. Um, I'm increasingly seeing at a practical level that in this world, and maybe it's always true in technology, but it's certainly true now, that the network effect of getting the right leader and the right couple of leaders beneath him or her tends to attract a lot of talent um, from different sources than search firms or HR departments uh, might typically look at, just because those individuals are very well networked into people with similar kinds of skills that they have. That's a great point. Um, Creating the right atmosphere, also an environment to... uh, retain and keep that talent if you find it becomes a big and uh, important undertaking within the organization. Well, Steve, don't you think that if you're doing it correctly or successfully, that almost by definition, you will find yourself constantly in the market because the demands for this kind of talent and the ability to keep challenging all of those people in the way that they require to be challenged, I think is very hard. So in some ways, while it's, it's quite painful, in another way, it uh, may be a bit of a leading indicator that you're you're doing things right. Yeah, so you you have to have basically a engine going that both acquires and then has great ways to retain this talent and keep it motivated and excited about the work it's doing. You know, the other thing, of course, that your technology leader has to be very good at is setting the right culture. I. I evolve with a venture capital firm. We're doing all kind of AI startups. The value proposition and culture of those firms is all about excitement to then get those people to come over and work in a IT organization for a large company. You, you, you need to make something special about that. And, and it, it, part of it's the money, but part of it's what the experience and the culture is. No, I think that's right. I, I think it's the technology leader. And frankly, I think it's the CEO and the whole management team, right? Because then it becomes a collective challenge to uh, create the right environment to, to, to just to build on your point. Um, maybe one more topic, um, external communication. And uh, I know I'm speaking to a Canadian and a Bostonian and you like uh, hockey analogies, but I, I uh, 
the, the um, if you I don't have the data in front of me, but if you look at how digital and technology has expanded in uh, analyst comments uh, the, the CEOs have made over the years, there truly has been a hockey stick in terms of uh, growth of references to technology. What's the what's the board's role in kind of external communication and stakeholder management as it comes to a company's adoption of technology, the outcomes it's achieving, the investments it's making? How does the board think about that? Well, I, I think you want to be very mindful about, um, as we've talked about before, what are some of the business outcomes that you're driving from that investment? And I don't just mean financial outcomes. Uh, sometimes it can be protections in um, uh, customer privacy. Sometimes it can be issues to improve the experience to um, employees. So there, there are a number of different ways to think about it. But I, I think it's like a lot of other topics that have increased um, attention um, in formal communications and in informal communications, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, ESG. I think you want to make sure that you can b- go beyond a sentence or two of what you're doing in this topic of transformation through technology and, and digital enablement to actually explain um, why it's beneficial to your stakeholders. Uh, certainly the board looks very carefully at the proxy statement every year, uh, and that uh, should be a clear articulation of your strategy across the most important levers. There are conversations that board members and certainly the CEO and CFO have um, with institutional investors. There are ongoing conversations through analysts, lots of communications coming out of COVID and particularly internally. So I think there are lots of avenues, and I think it's um, not only a smart thing to do when you're making such a big investment, but it's actually quite important that your stakeholders understand that you are investing for the long term. Uh, so it's a real positive. And I think the ability to be able to share with them what is the progress you're making and, and how are you seeing that, particularly since, as you mentioned earlier, some of these investments are quite long term and you're not going to see the full impact uh, for quite a while. Uh, I agree. I, I'll give you um, two uh, sort of conflicting insights on this. It, I'm sure it does the same. We listen to the earnings uh, calls, right? It's, it's, it's a very good thing to keep on top of this. So on the one hand, uh, I find over the last few years there's been more and more questions about the uh, what's happening with the technology infrastructure for exactly the reasons that uh, that Liz has outlined. On the other hand, it's clear that that the one thing that the analysts are doing is trying to tie that to business outcomes because after all, that's how they build their models and how they can uh, they can do their job. So the even more so than with a board, if you're going to talk about this externally, and to Liz's point, I think you need to. You, you, you need to be very clear on how it leads to the business outcome. And then I think it all works that you come across as a company that's investing for the future. Anything short of that, and you risk coming across as people who are just adding to the cost structure. Yeah. And I think, David, that the, the additional piece on that, again, companies have lots of priorities, but, but let's assume for a second we're talking about a company for whom this is a central priority. Um, I find particularly um, the proxy advisory firms, uh, some of the institutional investors, will then ask the question about, 
if and how um, management is compensated based on these investments and the transformation that they're trying to drive. So that's another important lever that a lot of the external stakeholders will look at. Dead on. If you look at, at how people are doing their steps, uh, you know, for a while it was all about earnings and maybe about revenue. And now you're seeing an increasing use of some of these, uh, I'll call it strategic goal milestones being, uh, being hit. So thanks for uh, spending some time with uh, me today. Fascinating conversation. I, I certainly learned a lot. Um, and it's, uh, it's a topic that's evolving um, and will continue to evolve for boards. So it, it's something we should keep an eye on. But this lays out a good uh, framing for how boards are thinking about technology and cloud in, in particular. And appreciate, uh, appreciate the time. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Steve. Many thanks to Steve, Liz, and David for sharing their insights with us today. We hope you all enjoyed the discussion. As always, we'll share a transcript of today's conversation on our Inside the Strategy Room podcast collection page at mckinsey.com ITSR. And if you'd like to share feedback or an idea for a future podcast, just email us at insidethestrategyroom at mckinsey.com. Finally, if you'd like to automatically receive our insights on strategy and corporate finance, you can sign up for email alerts on the bottom of any of our podcast collection pages on mckinsey.com slash ITSR, or you can follow us on Twitter at MCK Strategy and connect with us on our McKinsey Strategy and Corporate Finance LinkedIn page. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to having you join us again soon inside the Strategy Room.